Hey, Marshall Latham here, letting you know that this episode of the Trekkin podcast, where Keith Teklitz and I talk about Star Trek, this one focusing on the first half of the first season of Star Trek Discovery, was originally posted to Patreon back in July of 2021, so over two years ago. There are also many other episodes waiting for you over there as we go through all of the Star Trek series a half a season at a time. I encourage you to head on over to patreon.com slash journey into to check out all the other episodes that are already loaded up there. There's lots of extra early stuff, not just Star Trek stuff, but all, but all kinds of good audio podcasts for you to listen to over on Patreon. Go check it out. It's fun. You'll enjoy it. And now on to the Michael Burnham Show, a.k.a. Star Trek Discovery. The Journey Into Podcast Patreon is proud to present this Star Trek podcast, where Marshall Latham and Keith Teklitz go where many Star Trek fans have gone before, talking endlessly about the Star Trek franchise. Please come and join us as we go trekking. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of the Trekkin podcast, where Keith Teklitz and I talk about Star Trek in all of its forms and fashions. I think I said the same thing last time, but uh, this time around, we are going to talk about Star Trek Discovery, which I would have said was the latest Star Trek series, but <laughs> there's a few others out there already, so... Yeah. How you doing, Keith? What's been going on? I'm doing well, Marshall. Thanks. Uh, not not a whole lot. Uh, trying to watch some Trek. I actually listened to an audiobook or two of Trek recently, and going to used bookstores and picking up some of the old ones. I, I discovered something I hadn't realized, and that's in the the older novels of Star Trek back in the 70s and 80s and stuff. Some of them were written. By very popular authors. I searched for him, but I couldn't find any by Joe Halderman, the guy who did hmm. Forever War. Oh, okay. Yeah he, yeah, he wrote quite a few Star Trek novels, as did Barbara Hambly, which is a name I remember reading some fantasy series of hers back in middle school, I want to say. So seeing her name on there, I was just like, wait, she started with Star Trek? And then, you know, Alan Dean Foster, of course. He wrote right, for of course. <laughs> every science fiction franchise. But then Rish's favorite, oh, what's his name? Dean, Dean Wesley Dean Smith? Dean Wesley Smith? Dean Wesley Smith. Oh, terribly sorry. <laughs> I mean, Rish says it all the time, so I guess, you know, I should pay more attention. <laughs> now, so he wrote some of the more recent ones? Um, well, not even that recent. He just, I saw his name on a few of them. I don't know if they were back in the nineties, maybe, cause it, it did look more like the next generation. Oh, so okay. 
probably the nineties, but it it was kind of weird going into the used bookstore and just seeing all this hodgepodge of science fiction writers that you hear of. And, you know, I mean, Joe Halderman is one of the more famous ones, but I go back and try and read some of those, I guess, see where they started at least. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. But now we're talking discovery, the new stuff. We're talking the new stuff. Yeah. So we went from uh, enterprise last time, which was from back in the, the nineties and now we're all the way, <laughs> I think 2017, isn't it? That when uh, Discovery first came out? Yes. Yes. That's what I, that's what I've seen. And there's a lot of things that are different about Discovery because of when it's airing. First of all, it didn't air on regular television other than maybe the first two episodes. It was for the, at the time, CBS All Access streaming channel. So it's it's bringing Star Trek into the future, I guess. And because it's streaming, it's one complete story arc told over the entire season, which is what we see on Netflix and all these other streaming channels. That's what we're used to now. Right. But that's a total departure from the format of the show up until then. Because it was always a episodic, This after this episode, we start all over again the next week. Right. Which, you know, I've grown fond of, of course, over the years. So it is kind of a shift in in the, the way of thinking about Star Trek, watching Discovery. Yes. Because it's streaming and it's, it's one complete arc all the way through. Yeah, I, I did struggle with that at the beginning. But then I, I think I kind of fell into it a little more. I... I like the episodic, but I think it tends to bring me in more fully if the story arcs throughout, at least if the writing's well done, rather than this week it's a good episode, next week it's a bad episode. Who cares if I miss the following week because the the next week it'll be something I won't miss anything. This one, you kind of have to watch it in order. Right. Yeah, if you miss an episode, you're kind of. I mean, you could probably catch up, but if you miss two or three, man, you're <laughs> you're out to lunch. Yes, and that's you know that's what Netflix has created this new way of watching television. Well, and I I wonder how much like DS Nine and their later seasons and the last two seasons of Enterprise played into it because they. Even though they they were still episodic, they did have more of that season theme running throughout. So, I mean, even I think Star Trek was kind of trending towards that. Maybe, definitely not this much, but a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. The whole Dominion War and everything that we'll get to when we get to DS9. Yes. But yeah. So, I mean, and this again, I remember when Voyager came out, it was launching a new paramount channel called upn <laughs> and they oh. they built it all around star trek and it's kind of funny to think that all these years later they're building a streaming channel around star trek right <laughs> especially That's because the, upn isn't around anymore <laughs> yeah UP, upn was a pretty failed uh experiment and other than Voyager, not much else caught on. Right. I mean, did did Voyager outlast UPN? I kind of wonder that. I think it did. I don't know. I can't remember how it uh, was viewed after that. But 
and uh, yeah, so we'll we'll get into all that with Voyager too. But I just thought it was interesting that you know it's kind of the same thing now. Streaming is the way to go, right? So they built this streaming channel and pretty much tried to kick it off again with a new Star Trek series. Yep. The more things change, the more they stay the same. <laughs> That's true. Now, I, I did warn you <laughs> earlier today that I might do a little bit of complaining about <laughs> certain things about Discovery. And I don't, I'm not completely negative on it, but I don't want to just sugarcoat everything and say, oh, everything's great. Um, there there are some choices that they made that, that seem strange to me and stuff like that. And we'll get into that in specifics. But I want everybody to know, including you, that it's it's all done, you know, with I still have a love for Star Trek and and I do enjoy and love many things about Discovery. But right. uh, this first season is kind of a mixed bag for me. So I I understand that. I mean, there it was kind of like they were trying to find their way and and there's a lot so much different from what we're used to in Star Trek. But I, I tend to like the ride, and I like where it ends up. Yeah. Now, the, I guess the, the main architect for this whole series was Brian Fuller, who we know from X Men movies and you know several other projects that are out there. And Brian Fuller has become infamous for many negative things after this, and that's not good. <laughs> but he was the one that that kind of. By the time they actually were running the show, he was out of the picture, but he was pretty involved, I guess, in making the show, and and I think he even cast Michael Burnham. Okay. I guess, is is there anything else you want to talk about the show before we just start diving into episodes? I I think the only thing is just to warn everybody that, once again, Klingons have changed. (laughs) I think we talked about it last time, but just... If there's an alien you're going to change, might as well make it Klingons because they they seem to change every time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they they look very different from what we're used to. But overall, I'd say they're they're very much the same. I think they maybe bring up the tribal aspect a little bit more, but that kind of fits into what we've seen in earlier treks that take place later in the timeline where. They kind of are loosely more unified, even though in the, it it seems like they're very different at the beginning. It really does track and follow more with what I believe Klingons were used to a little bit more down the road. Yeah, and I, I still don't, I still don't really care for the. I mean, <laughs> uh, the rich history and and um, you know what they were trying to do. I understand, but they're so starkly different looking that I, yes. I don't, and I know. They were trying to do something new and bring something new to the table. But we had Enterprise that we talked about last week, and it had Klingons in it. And they looked just like the Klingons from Next Generation and and onward. Now we have Discovery, and they're totally different looking. I mean, yes, they, they have ridges on their foreheads, but they have ridges around their entire head and they're all bald (laughs) right and it's just very hard to get used to i guess and i did like the fact that when the klingons are talking to each other it's all done with subtitles and they're talking in pure klingon right and i thought that was really a kind of a neat choice that they did it makes you pay attention of course (laughs) but 
I, I like the way they did that. That made them feel pretty authentic. And then, I, you know, they'd say Kayless, and I'm like, hey, I know Kayless. <laughs> <laughs> they they did seem really different. And I have to admit, most of the Klingon stuff is the where I kind of turned off my attention. I mean, I watched everything and, and knew what was going on, but right. my my... I had a lack of interest more so with when it was Klingon stuff. Fair enough. So, so that's one of that's one of my <laughs> gripes, I guess, with the show. Yeah, but I think if you know that they look so different from the beginning, it'll make it a little bit easier to to get past. Yes, if if you haven't watched the show, that's a big and and I, I will say we'll get into the episodes, but the first two episodes were. Uh, created as as kind of a mini movie, mm-hmm. almost like a prelude to the series, right? And that was their signature introduction of Discovery to everybody because it was only on CBS All Access. But I believe the first two episodes were shown on regular CBS television as well, right? And so you know they gave you the first two episodes for free, and then you had to join the streaming service. Um, but I don't, I don't know if that was the right decision. I really liked the first two episodes as far as the, uh, Starfleet crew and the people that we meet, but it's very different than the rest of the first season. It is. It is <laughs> so we don't meet our main crew uh, or even see the starship discovery until the third episode. Right. Uh, <laughs> which is it's again it's a it's an interesting choice some of the characters follow from one uh onto the discovery and some of them don't but right we're, we're probably at the point where we need to start getting into the details so people understand what we're talking about <laughs> agreed <laughs> so why don't you go ahead and do the first one all right the first one was called the vulcan hello and it's basically there's the starship uss Shenzhou, which is captained by Philippa Giorgio, played by Michelle Yeoh. And they're going out to a, investigate a damaged satellite at the edge of Federation space. And the person who's going to go out and investigate it is the first officer, Michael Burnham. And she, even though her name was Michael and it said Michael, it, it is a she, Played by Soniqua Martin-Green. And she goes out to investigate the the thing. And she goes out there and she gets attacked by a Klingon. And she tries to get away from him and ends up killing him. When she does, you kind of find out that he's a little bit important to what the Klingons. Uh, He was considered the torchbearer. He's kind of like the, the sentry to guard this spot. And... It's a giant graveyard. He's just the one that, that's supposed to be there and place honor upon the dead Klingons. And he gets replaced by Vok. V-O-Q. V-O-Q, yes. V-O-Q, Vok. Because I, I didn't know that. I didn't understand all the all the names when I was first watching it. The first time I watched it. But I paid attention more the second time through. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's tough too when it's the Klingons because they're so harsh and and different from what we're used to. But then uh, the Klingons appear in a cloakable ship, which I don't remember if the 
Federation had seen before. We saw cloaking technology or yeah, saw the ship? The cloaking technology. Yeah, I don't remember either. But anyways, the, the cloakable ship comes out and the Klingon leader, Takumva, he says that the Federation is attempting to take away Klingon identity and culture and wants to wipe them out to fulfill the ancient prophecy to bring the Klingons together because there are these warring clans and houses that they need to come together and declare war on the Federation. It will unite them. So Vok is a is a follower of this and activates a beacon that summons basically all of the Klingon houses. It's a call to arms. And so Philippa Giorgio and Michael Burnham try to sue for peace and talk to the Klingons and, and do all this, but you know, it's it's like going up against rhetoric. You're not gonna change anybody's mind there. So Michael Burnham goes against Captain Georgiou's wishes and trying to prevent a war attacks first. But she doesn't quite get it done. She doesn't she isn't really able to do a whole lot and she gets arrested for mutiny. That's kind of the end of of the first episode. So you've got this I think the Klingon fleet shows up right at the end against just the Shenzhou, which is right there waiting for the rest of the Federation to come. Yeah, and they were told Captain George O had been in contact with Starfleet and the admirals, or at least one admiral in particular, and they were told not to do anything to hold tight that other Federation ships were coming and not to do anything. Yeah, the the Shenzhou doesn't seem to be like one of the ships of the line are, are definitely not like Enterprise class or anything. Not a big one. Seems a little bit smaller. Kind of reminded me of the Reliant from Rathacon a little bit. A smaller size. Yeah, smaller size and, and probably wasn't, you know, the, the it wasn't the flagship or the something that you would send for a fight. They were doing more research and discovery. Right. <laughs> well, I won't say the word <laughs> discovery, but... <laughs> exploration <laughs> right <laughs> yeah the thing i liked most about this is the relationship between captain yes. Giorgio and michael burnham you know michael's the first officer and her and the captain have, have become really close yeah and i i really liked that relationship and so it's kind of shocking when she knocks the captain out gives her gives her a vulcan neck pinch and i guess we can talk about that in a second too and tries to take command of the Shenzhou to attack the Klingons going against her captain. Right. I really did like that relationship that uh, we only saw in this, in this first episode. Yeah. It's, it's kind of that mix between parent and child and mentor and mentee. Yeah. And it definitely becomes important towards the end of this season as well. For sure. But uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about Michael Burnham's history and, and where she's come from? So Michael Burnham is born to human parents. She was at a human Vulcan research facility on Doctari Alpha. And then the Klingons raided and a lot of people were killed, including her parents. So she gets adopted by a Vulcan ambassador and his human wife. <laughs> and it happens to be Sarek and Amanda, which is the biological parents of Spock. Right. So she she's like a adopted sister to Spock. And it's kind of interesting. She's got much more humanity in her because obviously she's full human than Spock did. But there's a lot of Vulcan tendencies to her as well. 
whereas when you compared Spock to other Vulcans, he was a little bit more emotional. In this one, it's when you compare Michael Burnham to other humans, she's a little more calculating and unemotional. Yeah, that was an interesting choice, too. I thought that was pretty bold to just jump right into, hey, this is this is Spock's sister. And Sarek not only raised Spock, but he raised uh, another human girl, Michael Burnham. And they, I guess they do a pretty good job of skating around. They mention Spock in the first season, but they really kind of skate around any interaction. Like they haven't talked for years or whatever. Yeah. They seem kind of estranged, but she definitely has a a relationship with Sarek. Yes. And they actually communicate. I kind of like this and I kind of don't. It's just another extending the power or extending what we know about the Vulcans and, and making it bigger (laughs) in that, He's able to mind meld with her across the galaxy or whatever. Right. He says, what does he say? He has a, there's a cantrip of his spirit within her or something like that. Yeah. And so she's not really interacting with Sarek himself, but kind of. And I just, I thought that was a weird choice that, and I guess going along with that, the, the tech that these starships have is way beyond what the enterprise had in the original series. Right. They, they, they don't uh, talk to each other on screens. They have holograms, interactive holograms where they can walk around and still see each other. That's, (laughs) there's nothing like that on the original series. So no, all these little weird little choices just kind of start to add up a little bit to make you, or at least made me kind of like, wow, why did why did they do that? But yeah, they're just. I mean it. It's modernizing it a little bit. I mean, if you looking at those old original series Star Treks, <laughs> they can be pretty striking at at how sixties and seventies. Oh, for sure, mid mod they look. So I mean, I yeah. I get some of it, but yeah, I I agree. There's some of these choices that they just don't always make sense. Because I kept asking myself, well, why put this in canon and why put it 10 years before (laughs) the original series? If you wanted to do all this cool stuff, you know, why don't you just, you know, do the Kelvin thing or or do make it put it in the future, which they eventually do. But (laughs) yeah, so I don't know. uh, I'll I'll get off that that soapbox a little bit. But (laughs) if, if you take everything and at face value and just say, okay. She was adopted by Sarek, and she's Spock's adopted sister. And you just go through it. <laughs> it works. It's fine. Right. Um, it's kind of neat that she's kind of this, she is human, but she has a Vulcan mentality. She was raised, she wanted to be a member of the Vulcan scientific community or whatever. Yeah, and, the Vulcan Academy. Yeah, I think that's what it was. But instead, she's at, in Starfleet. But she's done very well at Starfleet and, yes. and everything. So, all right. <laughs> Sorry, I'm bogging us down here a little oh, bit. Oh, no, we, but... we're good. I mean, that's the thing about these first ones is we're, we're given the recaps of the characters, too. And it will take longer. Yep. And so I guess the other people that we meet on the Shenzhou 
there's a Saru, and he's the science officer. Yes. And he's played by Doug Jones, who's a, who's a very tall man, and he's you know been in many movies and things, used to being in makeup as he is here. Right. I think he's he's one of the most dynamic characters of the series. Absolutely. He's a Kelpian, and he's the only Kelpian to leave his planet, and they are a, a prey species on his planet, and so he's lived his whole life in fear, but yet he was able to get away and he joined Starfleet, and he's very different looking, uh, very cool design of his, the alien, I guess, that he portrays, and one of the coolest things is he ha- when he gets scared, he has what they call his ganglia, which are little things that come out of the back of his head, just kind of a fear response. And uh, I don't know. I just think that's really cool. <laughs> but he's very by the book and doesn't like to do anything, you know, because, he, again, he's very afraid of things and very cautious. And Michael Burnham's the exact opposite, where she just wants to rush headlong into everything. Right. And he, I, th- I think he's frustrated that Captain Giorgio let, lets her do that, those kinds of things. Um, I was very surprised to see Lieutenant Detmer on the Shenzhou. Oh, were you? Yeah, because she, she looks different. <laughs> and we'll explain, I guess, yeah. as we go through. But she's yeah, the she helmsman does. or the helmswoman. Yep. Okay, so I, th- I think... We can move on to yes. uh, episode two, which, again, is the second part of the initial episode that ran. I mean, it is two episodes, but they played them both. This one's titled The Battle of the Binary Stars, which is what is just about to happen because all these Klingon ships have shown up. And there's this giant ship of the dead. Pretty soon, though, the rest of the Starfleet ships show up. And a war breaks out, this Battle of the Binary Stars. Meanwhile, Michael has been sent to the brig for mutiny and there's this huge battle and people are taking damage pretty bad. Uh, The Klingons are are beating them pretty hard. I mean, they're killing Klingon ships too, but they're really taking a licking. Well, I mean, the Federation hasn't really designed warships in as much and the Klingons, that's all they design. So, I mean, it kind of makes sense, but that's true. That's true. I just remember, like, as soon as the flagship shows up for the Federation, the Klingons just basically ram right into it, and it doesn't have a chance. Yeah. And so I think that's when the Admiral who was on the flagship kind of, like, self-destructed and took out the Klingon ship, too. But, I mean, even still, oof. Yeah, they they lost the Admiral. Many, many ships, the Discovery itself is, or I'm sorry, not Discovery. The Shenzhou itself is uh, badly damaged. The area where the brig was was totally destroyed, or a section of it. And so Captain Giorgio believes that Burnham has been killed because that whole section was killed. But because she's in the brig, there's a force field around that, and she was protected. And she's kind of stuck in the brig, and then convinces the computer to help her escape and uh, get into the ship. A very Spock thing to do. A very Spock thing to do, yes. She's very logical. (laughs) 
in her approach. And and she does a good job with that. The Yeah, I think uh Sinequa Martin Green plays that really well. Yes, I agree. So she comes to the bridge, even though she's been arrested or whatever, she convinces Captain Giorgio that the best thing to do is to take Takuvma prisoner and he would lose his honor and probably the Klingons would lose their fighting spirit. They found a way to get onto their bridge of the the ship of the dead. And they were just going to kill the Klingons, but Burnham says, no, that'll just create a martyr. And then they'll fight even harder. And so we need to go take him prisoner. And so Captain Giorgio and Burnham are beamed on to the ship of the dead. And they are fighting against the Klingon Takuvma and Vok, I think. Aren't the, isn't yes. that who they're fighting on the bridge? Yeah, those are the main two. And they're doing pretty good against these Klingons. I, I'm just... Because uh, Burnham's not a very big person. No. <laughs> she, she's pretty small. But man, she was holding her own against the, this huge Klingon. Uh, but she took some pretty good hits, too. Right. And Giorgio is, is very scrappy and very good at fighting. And so... So Burnham is able to take out Volk, but then Takuvma has Giorgio in a chokehold and is going to kill her. And so she's forced to kill Takuvma in order to save Giorgio. But Giorgio was stabbed and killed. And so, of course, uh, Burnham is heartbroken by that. She feels like she's killed her captain. Right. So they they do are able to escape the ship of the dead and and at that point the war between Starfleet and the Klingons has begun. Many people are able to survive and escape, but uh, they've taken a pretty big hit. Yeah, this is like the first all-out battle that the Klingons and the Federation have had. Even though like Burnham's parents were were killed by Klingons, it was more of like just raiding parties and skirmishes up till this point. Right. And so that's it. That's that's the the opening episodes of the uh the series. But again, we haven't even seen Discovery yet until the third right. episode. Right. So the person that we think it might be the series might be about Captain Georgiou is dead. <laughs> so then we're like, okay, well it's Michael Burnham who's sentenced to prison for mutiny. Right. <laughs> sentenced to life in prison for mutiny. And it's like Okay, now what? Now, yeah. now who's the character? <laughs> yeah, and that's that's another interesting thing about this show is it's not about the captain and the crew. It's This is a show about Michael Burnham. Right. And so that's another difference. You know, we're used to, you know, we have the captain and the, this is the crew of the ship and this is what they do. Yeah, and here's the doctor's episode, and here's the science officer's episode, and the engineer's episode, and exactly, yeah. But this show is is about Michael Burnham, so yes, that that becomes more and more clear as as the season goes on. So yes, <laughs> which you know, some people I don't think like the character of Michael Burnham, and so they were kind of put off by the show. and And I will tell people if all you've seen are these first two episodes. You should keep watching. Yeah. You have not <laughs> seen the show. <laughs> really, the pilot episode is this third episode. Right. And again, this isn't my favorite season of the show. I really am looking forward to us talking about season two and and onward. But I really think you need 
to watch this first season to understand the characters and to see where they've come from and, and get the gist of how things are, are going for everybody. Yeah, I, I think the show is, is different from a lot because it does show so much growth in one character and their true arc going through everything. I mean, this is obviously the, the fall from grace. <laughs> right, for sure. Because Michael Burnham was like on the brink of getting her own captainship, I believe. Yeah, they talked about that at the beginning. Yeah. Like, I can't wait till you get your own ship. And that's, you know, that's what we've been working towards and all that kind of stuff. And now she's she's got nothing. Right. Life in prison and her mentor slash mother dead. Exactly. Yeah. And and she so, feels to blame. <laughs> she does. Well, and is, kind of. <laughs> she is. <laughs> There's some... I wish I would have written them down, but as we go through, there's some interactions between her and Saru that uh, I was like, I agree with Saru. <laughs> right. The, the The only thing I'll say about it is being her fault. Yes, you, you can definitely make that argument. But then again, this is the Klingons. And this isn't Cold War Klingons. This is Klingons looking out for a way to fight. I mean, that was the whole purpose of of the Klingons that they ran into was they right. wanted to yeah. fight and unite. So they weren't, they were going to use any excuse. Yeah, Takuvma wanted a war. So. Oh yeah. And Volk kind of took over from Takuvma and said, okay, you, you had it. This is mine now. I will make this happen. It's just, you know, all these different things. It, it's kind of a shock to the system. We're not used to this streaming show. That's one complete arc through the whole thing. We, we have, weird looking Klingons. We have, you know, all these tech things we're not used to. So it's just, it really is a jarring experience when you first watch these shows. So. It is. I mean, the, the, <laughs> the one thing too, to remember is, I mean, shoot, when did enterprise end 2005? So, I mean, this is a good 12 years after the last star Trek we've seen on the small screen. Right. So, and I mean, the enterprise, got criticized a lot and was quite different for some of the things that it did too that's true yeah yeah i think i said 90s earlier but i didn't mean that i meant 2000 early 2000s voyager was yeah voyager was 90s yeah Yeah, voyager was so i mean it it does i mean it's like people (laughs) compare it to some of the older things it's like well you know that was 20 30 years ago for just next generation so yeah (laughs) it's doesn't feel that long but it it has been yeah all right all right well then let's go ahead to episode three the the true pilot for the show yes context for kings so michael burnham has been in prison for six months and unexpectedly she's on a prison a a transfer which is kind of unusual because she just figured she was just going to be on the like kind of i think it was hard labor camp and instead is on a prison transfer, and then there's an emergency, forces her shuttle to be rescued by the USS Discovery. Here it is, episode three, we finally see the ship that the <laughs> show is named for. And several days on the ship, Burnham's on there, and then all of a sudden it's captain, the mysterious Gabriel Lorca, says, hey, I know you're, you're a pretty good scientist, I need your help on this he's got this project going on on the ship and basically is just trying to do anything to make it happen. And he will use 
whatever resources are at hand to make that. And so he has Michael Burnham on hand and say what you will about Michael Burnham's decision-making skills, her scientific knowledge and problem-solving skills are, are pretty darn good that you, you just kind of hear there's this mysterious thing. She's only going to get a little bit of this and a little bit of that. So you don't really know what all is going on. And then you find out that there's a, let me, let me get this right. Astromycologist, which is Lieutenant Paul Stamets, who I remember from Adventures in Babysitting. Oh, really? Yes. It's Anthony Rapp. <laughs> he was, he was the annoying friend in Adventures in Babysitting. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I didn't think I knew who Anthony Rapp was, but now I guess I do. Yeah. So whenever I, the first time I saw him, I'm like, that guy looks really familiar. And so I had to look it up. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so anyways, so. You so know, would you say he's the ship engineer? He's in this iteration of Star Trek. I think he's as close as you get to a ship engineer. Because this, again, is a science vessel primarily, right? The right. Discovery yeah. Ones. Yeah. It's a science vessel. But, I mean, it's it's so weird because he is a science scientist, but the Discovery has a special engine. So it's it's kind of like an experimental ship. So it's the scientist in charge of it instead of the engineer. Yep. yep. So I think, well, it's, Tilly's not... Is Tilly an engineer or is she a science officer as well? I think she works with she, Stamets. Yeah. In engineering or the, the or, science lab or right. whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is one of the weird ones where there's just such a fine line in between the scientists and the engineers. It kind yeah. of blends together. So it's all, it's all bio bioengineering basically is, is what the whole ship is based on. So not saying that they don't have a warp drive and all of the traditional Star Trek things that we're used to. It's just not even thought of for the most part. So anyways, so uh, oh, go ahead. I was going to say Burnham runs into some familiar faces. Yes. On, uh, on Discovery. Yes. Saru is there. And so is the previously mentioned Kayla Detmer. And... You see, Kayla looks a little bit different in this. Her her head is partially shaved, and she has kind of a bionic implant uh, around her eye. I don't think it's flat out said, but I think it's pretty much alluded to the the battle at the binary stars caused those injuries for her. That that was my assumption as well. Yeah, yeah. So whenever she sees Michael Burnham, it's just vile and hatred. Yeah, because she's very shocked. Right. Cause, and that's that's the only reason I noticed her is because every single time she sees her, it's just, I mean, for, for a character who doesn't even really have many lines through this whole first season, just the, the facial expressions and everything, you just feel it exuding from her and she, it, it really does make a, like sticks in your head. So you kind of notice her. Yeah, for sure. And then Saru is just so shocked to see Michael Burnham and just kind of wants nothing to do with her, just wants her to go back to prison He's he's very upset because he he's the first officer now. Yes, and uh, yeah, I, again, I just think it's fun when she walks in the room, his ganglia come out, <laughs> right? <laughs> but and and I mean, like I said, Lorca is just going to use whatever he has. But as Burnham's helping out, 
with this experimentation, just basically running numbers and doing things on the computer, whatever it happens to be. It's, it's way over my head. So <laughs> the little bit that they tell you, but she kind of overhears Lieutenant Stamets talking to a colleague about this experiment that they're going to do. And it's kind of like the sister ship to the discovery. And you you come to find out that Lorca announces that that sister ship, the USS Glenn, had a disaster and it killed the entire crew. So Discovery goes to the USS Glenn to find out what's going on. And Stamets and a landing par- our boarding party go over and try to figure out what's going on over there. And they find the crew is is dead and malformed and twisted and it just looks kind of crazy and awful and then there's also a group of klingons there and they're pretty much also getting slaughtered and killed by this unknown creature and it it kind of reminds me in jurassic park of the velociraptors trying to break into the computer room (laughs) kind of (laughs) yeah where they're breaking in and you escape through the ceilings and it's very you're not entirely sure what's going to happen, but it's just all teeth and claws and death and all those types of things. Basically, they they figure out a way to escape and get out of there. And while they did that, you also find out that Lorca got the creature and had it transported into a secret lab, basically, in Discovery. And has it confined there, kind of like in a Briggs situation as well. Yeah, and he... He works really closely with this uh, Commander Landry, who's the security officer. And you can tell that there's really, uh, that they're kind of working together and it's all suspicious and things like that. Yes. Very, very secretive and not very Star Trek that you're used to. Exactly. A lot of, a lot of secrets and, and hiding things. And it's closer to kind of the DS9 style of warfare type things that are going on anyway so Lorca basically says you know you can work for me doesn't matter about the sentence i i can do whatever i want and use whatever i need whatever resources are at hand to make this project successful and win the war yep it's all about winning the war and she sees it as the possibility for redemption for hopefully winning the war that she started she doesn't necessarily want to do it, but it's also better than sitting there and not doing anything and just letting the war continue. Yeah, and he uses that against or not against her, but he uses that to influence her to help him because he's like, you started this war. Don't you want to help me finish it? Yeah. So you mentioned Tilly, but talk a little bit more about oh, yes. Tilly. Tilly. <laughs> so when Michael Burnham finally gets out of like the Briggs situation, gets a, a room she ends up being in a room with with Ensign Tilly, who is Sylvia Tilly, and she is a great character. It's just fresh out of the camp, somebody who's almost too smart for their own good, brilliant, but not the best social skills, talks nonstop. Most other people don't even want anything to do with her because they find her weird and annoying and strange, and so... It's kind of kind of funny that she's the only one who actually reaches out and tries to be Michael Burnham's friend. And so they, they kind of, I don't remember if it's in this episode or if it takes a little bit longer, but Michael starts warming up a little bit to Tilly. Yeah. 
if you could take two of the opposites on the ship, right? And then they end up together. Yeah, because um, she's very uh, happy and very excited about things, and um, but she, like you said, she's also also socially awkward. Yes, and then you have Michael Burnham, who's you know very down to earth and logical and doesn't talk very much and <laughs> things like that. So <laughs> they they end up being good for each other. I think. They do. <laughs> So, yeah, no, Tilly's just like this bouncing ball of energy and <laughs> it's endearing and I can, I can, I think everybody likes her, but everybody could also see where if you had to be working with her or live with her, it would get old real quick. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's like a, a young puppy who just wants to be there with you all the time. That's what she kind of reminds me of. But I mean, she's she's brilliant. She's working in the science too, and she's very smart. Her own her entire goal is she wants to be a starship captain. Right. Yeah. Which she's just getting started. Right. I mean, she's you know everybody kind of laughs at her because she is a little socially awkward and she's a little different. But that's she doesn't care. That's her goal, and she's going to work towards it. And that's what makes you know makes you fall in love with her i guess yes yes <laughs> and she's played by uh, mary wiseman who i haven't seen anything until this but neither have i i'm sure she's done some things so yeah somewhere i think i think the <laughs> only other character of note that we haven't talked about was hugh dr hugh colber who's the the medical officer well he hasn't shown up yet he, he wasn't in this episode he i don't think he shows up until episode five really I think far? so, yeah. It's kind of crazy. I would have thought it was before that, because I, I thought he did, because him and Stamets, I thought were talking a little bit before that. Maybe, but I, I don't think I don't think we were really introduced to him. Fair enough. Well, in episode five, we will get to him. <laughs> All right, so that takes us right into episode four, which has the weirdest name. <laughs> the Butcher's Knife Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry. <laughs> right? It's just kind of a bonkers title, but it is. I don't even think the uh, original series could get away with that one, but it's uh, got some pretty weird titles too. Yeah, the Harlan and Listen episodes had some weird ones. So episode four. So basically, Burnham is is put in charge of finding a way to weaponize this creature that they found on the other planet or on the other ship, and to use it to win the war. Meanwhile. Stamets is still trying to get this new engine to work. And we learn more and more about it. Eventually, we learn that it's called the Spore Drive. And it's a way to go from one place to another instantly. And it, so it's, it's here's, the, here's my best attempt to explain how the Spore Drive works. They have this forest of fungi. And the spores are part of this this fungi. And there's this mycelial network of spores that spans out into space everywhere you could think of. And if we could just tap into that mycelial network, we could go anywhere. But with, there's no way to communicate with the... Uh, they, can, they can do some short jumps. And when they go into a jump, they call it black alert. We're going into a black alert. And the ship kind of does a little flippy thing and and disappears and then reappears somewhere else. So 
we're going beyond warp drive and using this spore drive. I don't remember which one it was. There's a sci-fi movie where they take the piece of paper and fold it in half and punch a hole through it and say that's what they're doing is just fold into space. And that's what kind of reminds me of. It's not the same thing because it's always spores and moving that way, but it's just like doing a, a wormhole effect almost to get from one spot to another. Oh, that was from Stranger Things. Yes. That's how they explained it in Stranger Things. Yeah. <laughs> which which makes sense. Yeah. Right. So you're you're pretty much instantaneously traveling to to that spot. Right. Um and you know, again, here's this high concept of <laughs> biological space travel using these spores in a mycelial network. I mean, it's you, you got to give them credit for thinking big right. for this series cuz I guess what are you going to do to top warp drive? But yeah, that's kind of interesting. And again, as I'm watching this series, I'm thinking, well, how come nobody's ever used How come we've never seen this spore drive being used by anybody else in all the Star Trek series as I've watched? And season two, they, they did a lot to fill in the gaps and, and try to repair some of that uh, canon continuity stuff. So we'll get into that as we go through. But again, if you just take it at face value, this is this is what's going on. This is this is what's happening in uh, in the Star Trek universe. It it works. You know, it's kind of an, a cool concept, it something is. I'd never thought of before. So, but anyway, so Burnham's working to try to figure out more about this tardigrade. You know, she she's a science officer. She has been a science officer. This is her wheelhouse. She's learning about this creature. And the more she learns about it, she realizes that it's not a predator. It's not, you know, it's it's more in defense of itself. And it only attacks somebody when it's threatened. And she's working, you know, the uh, this Commander Landry, the security officer, is watching over her like a hawk and saying, you need to work faster. You need to figure out how we can weaponize this. And she's very impatient. And so... She decides that she's going to stun it or kill it. And I can't remember what she decides she's going to do, but she takes down the force field where the creature is being held. And she goes in there with a gun. And of course the uh, creature attacks. And by the time Burnham's able to react and it's very light sensitive, it doesn't like being in light. So but by the time she's able to turn on the lights and make the uh, creature crawl back into its cage or cave or whatever landry's dead right <laughs> which i thought oh wow here we go um I'm, we're not used to seeing you know somebody who's supposed to be a main crew member just killed right <laughs> well i well we'll get into that maybe with uh next generation but anyway third episode or fourth episode in and and security officer's gone yeah but eventually and it I think Burnham's still working with Stamets and Tilly on the spore drive. And she basically, by the end of the episode, she figures out that this tardigrave likes being around the spores. It is strengthened by the spores. It wants to be with them. And so they decide that the USS Glenn was using this creature, who they say is, and it is, it looks like a tardigrave, like yes. a you know, microscopic tardigrave, but it's huge. And so she determines that it can communicate with the spores and it can be used to travel. And so 
there's this base that's being destroyed by Klingons and it's, they need to be rescued or they're just going to be wiped out and all the, uh, was it the dilithium was going to be used up by, anyway, it was a critical place and they were all going to die because the Klingons were taking them out and they, you know, we need to get there. We, and so they end up using the tardigrade. They put it in this spore chamber and attach something to it. And then they are able to jump to this place and protect the the base and, and get rid of the Klingons and then jump away without being damaged too bad. And so that's kind of what where we end up at the end of this episode. Except for the only thing, you, like you said, you kind of skip over the Klingon parts. But Valk is kind of trying to take over Takuvma's spot. But instead, a different Klingon later kind of shows up and Vok was defeated and, and isn't as strong and respected in the houses. He doesn't come from a royal line. So this other Klingon takes over instead. And they kind of leave Vok to die in the Shenzhou. But there's there's another Klingon, Lorel, who's loyal to Vok and promises a way for them to win the, the war. And it's the house of Takuvma, the kind of like the outsider house, the house of a, a different kind of house that they kind of create on their own. Not only to beat the Federation and, and unite the Klingons, but unite the Klingons under their banner. And that leads us into episode five, Choose Your Pain, which this is probably my favorite episode of, of the whole se- series, this or the season at least. I, I like the, them all, but this one just kind of s- sticks out to me because it, of who shows up. Right. So basically the Discovery has been going on and doing some successful operations and, and doing some strikes here and there and, and kind of messing with the Klingons and kind of slowing their war effort because they don't know what's going to happen. If you've got somebody who can jump behind the supply lines all of a sudden and attack you, you, you don't go out quite as far and as fast. So Lorca's ordered to kind of stand down and protect the spore drive until they can figure out how to replicate this. And when he returns, he comes back to the Discovery on, wasn't it on a shuttle and gets captured? Yeah. Yes. He gets captured by the Klingons and Burnham is there. And so you, you don't know really what's happening. Lorca's out of the picture. Burnham's concerned about the creature that they've been using for all these jumps because it's been just starting to look more and more haggard and listless and doesn't have very much energy. So she's trying to talk to Stamets and Stamets' partner, the, here we go, finally the doctor, Dr. Kuber, Kolber, sorry, comes in and trying to find an alternative for the drive than to just torture this poor creature. Cause that's even though in their war, that's not really a, a Starfleet thing. You don't cause something unintentional pain just to get an edge basically. So Burnham's trying to do things a little bit more by the Starfleet book now. And so while that's going on, Lorca's imprisoned and he meets two other people, this Starfleet officer, Ash Tyler, and then a human criminal, Harry Mudd. <laughs> the Harry Mud, and it is played by Rain Wilson. Rain Wilson, yes, thank you. Sorry, I was just Dwight from The Office. It was all that was popping yeah, in my head yeah. all of a sudden. 
So yes, it's Rain Wilson, and I never would have seen him as Harry Mudd, but they they casted this perfectly. He does a great job. He does. If you don't know who Harry Mudd is, he's he was back in the original series. He's he's a con man. He's a swindler. He's a, he just takes advantage of people left and right, and that's what he did in the old Star Trek, and that's what he's doing here. But the, he got he ran into the Klingons and got captured by them. So Mud and Lorca and Ash Tyler are kind of working together, and I think there was one more prisoner who got taken out and then killed. Yeah, right away. Right, <laughs> he wasn't there very long. <laughs> no. So basically, it's just revealed that Lorca killed his entire crew earlier to spare them from the Klingons' torture, but himself he himself escaped. So that's kind of like his own personal shame. Like he he couldn't save his crew, but you know he he tried to. But the Klingons were just so brutal. Lorca once again do anything he can to to survive and win. Yeah, instead of going down with the ship, right? So he he's just. This enigma that doesn't quite make sense yet. You know, Lorca gets gets tortured, and it's Lorel who we saw telling Vok what previously that she was on his side and she had a plan to win. And he's being tortured to find out, you know, what is Discovery? How does it travel like this? And so they they're trying to do all that, but they only go so hard because they, they don't want to kill him. He's their source of information. Lorca and Tyler actually come up with a plan to escape and they do, they, they get out and it's before the, the Klingons are able to torture effectively enough to get anything useful. And so Lorca and Tyler were able to get back to discovery sneakily and, and Harry Mudd was kind of trying to use them to escape himself, but then kind of got double crossed by Lorca a little bit. And I, I believe they got on a little shuttle and got were able to get back to Discovery, who was kind of hanging around trying to, to figure out a way to rescue him. And basically for the for the final jump they need to get away from everybody. Lorca and Tyler are on board. Harry Mudd's kind of off on his own. You don't really know what he's doing yet. The Klingons are coming. The Ripper, they've decided not to use it anymore because it's it's dying. But Stamets decides to connect himself to the spore drive using the Ripper's DNA and basically is able to make the jump. And Burnham kind of goes against things and, and frees the Ripper, the Tardigrade, and lets it go. And you kind of see it go off and and be happy and live on. And even though in Stamets at first seems okay and nothing happened, it's kind of eerie at the end where he's, he's looking at himself in the mirror and he turns and walks away, but the reflection doesn't. It just sits there and kind of like watches him walk away. It was very eerie. <laughs> yeah, and, the, and and it's revealed in this episode that, yes, Stamets and Dr. Colbert are lovers or yes. a couple and, at this point. Which, again, is kind of groundbreaking for Star Trek to have a relationship with two gay men on right. the show. And it's played really well. I mean, it's just normal, you know, nothing is shocking no. or or whatever. It's just played as that's the way things are. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of carrying on the tradition there with that. Yes. It's not, I don't think it's the first time you've seen it because I remember in Star Trek Beyond, they had Sulu in a, in a relationship. Oh, that's right. 
but it's the first time you saw it, I think, on television and where where it's more main characters right there. And they it's it's not like kind of just a little, hey, look, here's your spouse. It's it's these two relatively important characters are talking about their relationship on screen. And I'd like to that it wasn't it wasn't like they were in bed together. And, no, you know, in a sexy scene, they were just brushing their teeth in the bathroom, exactly, you know, and talking to each other. That was kind of cool. And Doctor Colbert's played by Wilson Cruz, who I remember from way back in the nineties, being on My So Called Life. Oh, okay. That was like a I want to say it was an MTV teenage show that didn't last very long. But it it made an impact to a lot of people, and I I think he was one of the the first gay teens main characters back then when he was doing oh, that. Wow. So it's it's kind of did a little bit back then, does a little bit now, but just kind of a, a little nod to that. Uh, there's a couple other things in this episode that I wanted to talk about. Just briefly. Okay. Uh, I think this is the episode where, because Lorca's gone, so Saru is in charge. He is the captain of the Discovery. And he's a little uncomfortable with that because of his nature. So he is talking to the computer and he is listing all the, he pulls up all of the most important leaders in Starfleet and what their attributes are. And he wants the computer to gauge what he does against what all these uh, great leaders are. I, I froze the image and took a picture of who the computer considered to be the best leaders in Starfleet were. <laughs> and it was uh, Robert April, who was the first captain of the Enterprise. Okay. Jonathan Archer. Right. Matthew Decker. Decker. I'm not sure if I know Matthew Decker or not. Wasn't that... Oh, he was in the original series episode. Wasn't he the the one who was like that seemed like he was an alcoholic or something when he took over from Kirk at one point? I think so, yeah. But it was more he was yeah. like shell shocked. Yeah, I think that I think that's the same guy. So yeah, we'll we'll talk about him next time maybe. Okay. And then uh Philippa Giorgio and Christopher Pike. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Are the uh the most decorated captains in Starfleet so far. Anyway, so I, I thought that was kind of cool. Interesting. I think this is the episode where Saru is talking to Burnham and, and he's very concerned about her behavior with the tardigrave and not listening to his orders, but, you know, going behind his back to try to protect the tardigrave and things right. like that. And and even though, you know, she kind of is justified or vindicated in the things that she's doing, you know, when he starts talking to her about her behavior and how it affects other people, and that's the point where I was like, yeah, Saru's right. Right. You're a very selfish person, Michael Burnham. <laughs> so. Yeah. And then the, there was two uh, Tilly quotes, and I thought, oh, oh man, I need to find a Tilly quote from every episode. Okay. Because she has some, some great lines, but I forgot about it after this episode. Oh. <laughs> but uh, the first one was, I love feeling feelings. <laughs> it's a great Tilly line. And then the other one was when Burnham and Stamets and Tilly were all figuring out the mycelial network right. and how they would use the DNA and all this stuff. And she does swear, but 
this is so bleeping awesome. <laughs> she was just so excited about the science of it all. Right. I don't think we see much swearing in the series. I think no. that's the first, maybe the first and only one. Um, and they are probably just trying to prove that they could or whatever. Right. And and for it to come out of Tilly is kind of surprising. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then Samus is like, you're right. It is awesome. <laughs> well, and wasn't it part of the way, was it this episode or the previous episode was part of the way that Michael Burnham discovered that the tardigrade wasn't dangerous was when Saru came in and his ganglia didn't rise up. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of a big deal for her. And I don't remember if it was the previous episode, and that's kind of what helped her decide that it wasn't dangerous, or if it was this episode, and like how she, part of the reason that she argued for why she did what she did. I think it was the last, I think it was the other episode. I do too. Okay, sorry, we're going. Oh, no. <laughs> I guess I shouldn't apologize, but eh. hopefully nobody minds that we're going overboard <laughs> on this. But again, it's the first time we're talking about these characters, so. Yes. So the next episode is called Leith, and Lorca got abducted last episode. Well, in this episode, there was an assassination attempt on Sarek. He right. was going to go meet with the Klingons in a special envoy. One thing I thought was kind of cool is apparently there's this group of Vulcan extremists that want to be pure, purely Vulcan and, and not get involved with other cultures and uh, the humans and the Klingons. And this uh, this extremist is on the uh, shuttle with him and tries to blow it up, you know, kills himself and tries to blow up the shuttle and kill Sarek. And so he's in desperate straits and um, almost dead or whatever. And, of course, because of Michael's connection to Sarek, um, she feels this and she knows that he's in danger and pretty much convinces Lorca to deviate from the war and uh, to go save Sarek because it's important to her, but it's also important to Starfleet that Sarek is protected. Right. Of course, once again, Lorcan is going against orders from the admirals at Starfleet, and this Admiral Cornwell comes to visit him and see what's going on, you know, and she's concerned that he's not the same person that he was and that the war is getting to him and he's becoming too extreme. And we find out that they've had a previous relationship. And so they continue on with that. But she eventually, oh, he wakes up. She wakes him up in the middle of the night somehow. And he jumps on top of her and puts a, pistol, a phaser to her head. So she really realizes that he's kind of unhinged. And toward the end of the right. episode, she goes, okay, we're going to figure out, uh, we're going to come up with a plan for you to step down and get some help because you, you, you need help. Yeah. All, all the little things that we've been seeing about Lorca up until this point, just kind of keep on adding up where it's just, he, he does seem unhinged and like, everybody's kind of like going, what, what's going on? And it's. It's like finally somebody else is going to come in and or take this guy away from this dangerous situation and hopefully put somebody better in there. <laughs> finally, the boss has noticed. <laughs> yes. Well, it's interesting. You know, Saru doesn't approve of a lot of things that Lorcan does, but he's right. he's a faithful first officer and carries out the orders of his captain. Yes. 
so let's see what else is going on. We we find out so Lorcan just uh, makes Ash the uh, security officer because of course uh, Commander Landry was killed by the Tardigrave. Right. So he needs a new security officer. So Ash is is that guy. Oh, and again, I, I sorry to keep complaining about things or bringing things up, <laughs> but at the beginning of the episode, Lorcan and Ash are fighting Klingons in basically a hollow deck. Yeah. Where it's computer generated, you know, graphics or like a virtual reality kind of thing. And again, I'm like, what? This is before the original series. There were no holodecks back here, but now we have this <laughs> whole thing going on. What's what are they doing? But again, I'll let that go. <laughs> Just accept it as it is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, where was I going? Oh, so back to Sarek, I guess. With Michael's link to Sarek, they find a way. They're uh, her and Ash and Tilly go off in this shuttle craft, and they're going to through her mental link with him. She's going to be able to locate where he's at, and once they know where he's at, they can use the spore drive to get there and save him. But she has to get through his mental defenses first. And so we learn more about their relationship and more about the circumstances of her getting onto the Shenzhou and not being at the Vulcan Academy or whatever. And she's always seen that as her biggest failing. And he kind of fights against her in his mind to get out of his mind. Uh, but eventually she's able to break through to him and talk to him. And she finds out that he he feels that as one of his biggest failures. So, you know, you got you got some of that dynamic between Sarek and Michael. Uh, eventually, she does break through. She does know where he's at, and they're able to go save him. But he's in bad health, you know, barely alive. And so he can't go meet with the Klingons. But Admiral Cornwell decides to go. But it's interesting because it was kind of at Lorca's suggestion that she right. go meet with the Klingons and he probably knew it was a trap and he probably was trying to get rid of her so that she wouldn't report him. That's not said, but, uh, yeah, but that's, that's the feeling I got. Yeah. Cause we're starting to question him and see him as not the best guy. So yeah, it's nothing's really straightforward. You got all these little things going on when, in these episodes. Yes. Yeah. This is, this is one of the, the more, confusing episodes or it jumps around a little bit and there's a lot of kind of not necessarily exposition but kind of like that that just through the visuals too yeah and you do see a little bit where it's the spock and michael burnham more of a rivalry than anything else a little bit in this where they you kind of see that they they consider each other rivals and never were really that close i think they they kind of touch upon that a little bit in this one yeah Oh, and we do see Spock's mother in this as well. Right. In in Sarek's mind. So I think that's the first time she's been on the show. Yeah, I think so. Okay, so now I'll, I'll let you talk about, I think, what's my favorite episode of this <laughs> run. <laughs> yeah, this, this is a very good one. But it's uh, magic to make the sanest man go mad. And basically, there's a there's a crew party going on. People are celebrating a little bit because I don't even remember entirely what it was. I think it was just a party, just a little downtime maybe. But anyways, they're they're attending the party, and Burnham and Tyler, 
we're starting to build a little bit of a relationship and could it be romantic? Is it not? They are called to the bridge to deal with an, a creature that discoveries come across that they find is endangered. So they're trying to, to help with that. And they bring the creature on board and inside the creature is a person. It's our favorite Harry Mud. <laughs> He's back. So he escaped the Klingons and he is back. He plans to kill Lorca, sell the ship to the Klingons, but he's caught and he blows up everything instead. And then all of a sudden it's Groundhog Day and time <laughs> returns. <laughs> and it's like the exact same thing all over again. The time goes back to the party and Burnham and Tyler are called to the bridge and they're intercepted this time by Stamets, who's aware that they're in a time loop because of his interactions with the dna from the tardigrade and so over numerous time loops kind of stamets is is doing the groundhog day a little bit and trying to work with burnham and tyler to find a solution so he starts becoming a little bit more efficient on convincing them and all these things and so stamets is is kind of growing and becoming a little bit more knowledgeable on what to do but at the same time so is harry mudd and so they they are working on it and working on it, and Mud is getting closer and closer to what he needs to have a successful plan. And finally, they're able to do it and convince Mud that he won, and he ends the time loop, and he's preparing everything for the Klingons to come on board. But instead, Mud is confronted by his his beloved Stella and her father, who <laughs> who was. Because he's a con man, he convinced a rich man, like basically convinced this, this daughter of a rich man to marry him and collect the dowry for it. And so he, he basically took the money and ran and didn't marry her. And so instead of the Klingons showing up, it's them. And so they, they grab onto Mud and they take Mud with them, kind of ending the situation. And Stamets reveals to Burnham and Tyler that in one of the time loops they danced together and kissed. So the the burgeoning romance had become even fuller there. But, I mean, it was just... It's at times a very brutal episode where people are dying left and right. But it's also a very humorous episode. And, again, I mean, Rain Wilson does it, just kills it as Harry Mudd. He does, yeah. He he's a lot of fun in this episode, and yes. very smug, and, and he's like, "I've killed you so many times, I'm starting to get tired of it," and stuff like that. And right, yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of fun, and and I love a time loop episode. Yes, they, they're always fun, and I think there's some good development with Stamets. You know, even though you know he's just the the plot device, to he's the one that's recognizing everything. And, right. Uh, so it was kind of neat to feature him, and then at the same time, he's kind of helping Michael and and Ash in their relationship and things like that, because he's just kind of offering advice and things like that. Um, but yeah, it, it was a nice change of pace. You know, everything was so serious and all this, and it was just kind of a fun episode, and it it was almost like an old episodic episode. It, it was where and and not as focused on michael burnham yeah this is probably the least focused on her throughout the entire season 
this is definitely a a Stamets episode. Like I said, this is my favorite episode of season one, probably yes. at least this first part of it. Um, but I think yeah. probably probably the whole season that, that this was my favorite one. The the worst part about this is I think this is the last time we see Harry Mud, and I just hope he comes back in a later season. I, I that's a character that every time you see him, it's just you know you're in for a fun episode. Yeah, he's kind of like the Q of uh... right. He he really is. <laughs> I never thought about that, but yeah, you're right. Because <laughs> even in the other one, the Choose Your Pain one, he was just again so smug and so out for himself and and stuff like that. He just makes it makes it fun. And I, Rain Wilson was perfect casting for that. So yeah, which I like. I said I never would have would have picked him for it, but he he was he was perfect. <laughs> okay so we got two left yes this one i think a few times they've mentioned the star date um, but i caught it on this one and it was the so it's star date 1308.9 <laughs> if anybody's okay. keeping track <laughs> uh, the name of this episode is c vis pacum parabellum <laughs> some latin for us here uh, but basically uh, Burnham, Saru, and Ash are on this planet called uh, Pavo, and it's, it was supposed to be uninhabited, but it has this natural crystalline transmitter that sends a signal out into space, and they want to use this transmitter to modify the frequency so they can use it like sonar to detect the uh, Klingons, because they have the cloaking technology. But they learn that there is life on this planet. It's it's like a, I would call it like a swarm of of light, um, and it interacts with them, but it doesn't communicate with them. Uh, but the constant noise of the planet is really affecting Saru um, and his senses. I I did look up. See this pacum parabellum means if you want peace prepare for war oh yeah i think that's that's very much into (laughs) this season and series for sure definitely applies yep so now it's kind of a different situation because now it's like a first contact situation with this swarm species and now what are they going to do they still want to use this transmitter then on Discovery, Damitz is starting to feel the effects of being the spore drive. And he's starting to have delusions and missing time and things like that. But he doesn't want to tell anybody. Tilly recognizes it, but he doesn't want to tell his partner, Dr. Kolber. And he doesn't want the captain to know about it. And so it's kind of between him and him and Tilly. But of course, you know, that's not a good sign. <laughs> he's having these issues so they do find this little little hut to stay in down on the planet and saru just can't sleep he's having pretty much has a migraine because of the the sound of the noise and he goes outside and the swarm creatures come to him and you know he's like can, can you help me can you help me stop the noise and they pretty much come up to him and and they go into his body and he's kind of taken aback but then when they leave he feels 
complete peace. The, the noise is gone and he feels at peace. And for him, that's a big deal because he lives his life in fear because of, you know, he's, he's a prey species and, but it really affects his attitude and, and the way he is. It's almost like he's been taken over by these swarm creatures. But I think by the end of the episode, we find out just he's never been in this situation before. And so he's acting to, he just wants to stay here. And so he, he takes their communicators and destroys them and says, we're going to stay here and be part of this planet. And Ash and Burnham are like, we got to find a way to, to overcome this. And so Ash distracts Saru while Burnham makes her way to the transmitter to make the modifications that they came to make. Eventually, Saru figures it out. And because of his long legs and because of his evolution, I guess he's extremely fast. And so he's running super fast to get to the transmitter and stop Burnham. But she's there and eventually he does get there and they do fight, which is interesting. I would have never thought those two would be fighting. Right. Um, (laughs) But they do. But eventually she's able to. uh, No, she she never is able to make the modifications i think he breaks the transmitter or something but she the swarm creatures come because they don't like that the they're fighting and they bring ash with them and she starts to talk to the the swarm species i don't know i guess the pavans the pavoans would be what you'd call them right and she just pleads with them hey we're at war against these klingons and they're they're going to come and they're going to destroy your planet. And so if you can help us, you know, it will help you and just pleading with them. And so they do change the frequency of the tower and they think everything's good. But when they get back up on the, on discovery, Captain Lorca isn't happy with them because the transmitter is actually sending out a signal and it's calling the Klingons, the ship of the dead to come to that planet and because it basically wants to help them overcome their differences and be at peace, they don't not understanding the nature of the Klingons. And so by the end of the episode, they're like, we need to stay here and defend this planet. Otherwise, it's going to get destroyed. And who yeah. cares about our plans to uh, get the sonar built up? We just need to save this planet kind of thing. So that's kind of where we're at at the end of this episode. It's almost a two-parter, right, with the... The yeah. last episode of this little chapter. Right. I think, again, there's there's a little bit with the Klingons. Oh, yeah. That's true. Laurel says she's going to help Cornwell escape as long as Cornwell helps protect her from, from Cole, who's the, the Klingon who assumed power back in the second or third, second episode. And so, at the end of the episode, you, you see... Lavrell apparently killing Cornwell to save face with Cole and continue on with there and not, not be considered, you know, a traitor to the cause. All of a sudden you, you're like, man, this just got, took a real dark turn. The Klingons are coming. They killed me and roll. And the only thing that stands between the Klingons and killing this peace planet is the discovery. Who's all split on what to do. Yeah. So yeah, thanks for that, filling in for that the Klingon stuff. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I didn't take notes on a lot of that stuff. So 
I I like the parts. Like like I said, I kind of I've always kind of liked the Klingons and their their warlord nature and and fighting. And this this series does tie in with that a lot. So I I tend to enjoy it. I know it's very different. <laughs> and, <laughs> no, that that's why I'm glad we're doing this together because you have a different perspective than I do. So you can you can represent. <laughs> the Klingons better than I can. So. And that, that leads us to the, the final part of this first half of, of season one, which is episode nine into the forest. I go and Lorca's is told by Starfleet to, to get out of there with the discovery before the Klingons arrive. But he decides weirdly for Lorca to disobey and protect the life forms on Pavo and improve the chances of detecting the cloak ships. So he's, he's kind of counting on the life forms down there to inadvertently show up the, the Klingon ships. So then maybe he can get a military advantage. And so the Klingons arrive and Tyler and Burnham transport to the ship, the Klingon ship and plant sensors that will, that will help them start using their own sensors to detect cloak ships. And there's a lot of math and things that I think some somewhat gets talked about in there. But when they're in there, they, they happen to find Admiral Cornwell with Laurel and alive. So that, that was kind of a surprise there where you thought she had died the previous episode, but nope, she's, she's still alive. And when they encounter Laurel, all of a sudden Tyler goes into shock and kind of, it's kind of like the the shell shock or PTSD and you just see like he he was tortured and and raped and she was the one who did it and so he's just having a tough time having basically a giant panic attack and can't function and so they're just trying to figure out what to do then back on discovery Lorca makes Stamets go through a crazy amount of jumps just to map out what the sensors are giving them so then they can discover how to track the cloaked ships. That's kind of a, a cool thing to see, all these little micro jumps that that the Discovery is doing. It's just popping in and out of existence all over the place. Wasn't it like it's, 209 or something like that? He yeah, something something crazy. It was well over 100. I just And it's, it's happening so fast. And so Stamets, you start seeing him like, taking the toll on him to do all of those things. And then while that's going on back on the Klingon ship, Burnham's distracting Cole by challenging him to a fight. She's like, Hey, I, I killed the guy that Takuvma, and you know what? You're, you're not even as cool as him. So come on. And she's challenging the Klingons honor. So of course all the Klingons are there to watch it. Well, that's going on and that's building up the jumps are completed stamets is is kind of losing it a little bit but that the algorithm that they did to try and figure out the sensors is done and so all of a sudden the fights looks like it's it's really gonna get i think she started fighting him and it was starting to turn a little bit against them they were able to transport out burnham tyler cornwell and lavrell who was the Klingon that wanted yeah. to defect. Lorel just kind of jumps on Tyler's back or whatever when they're transporting or something. Right. Um, because, well, I mean, she it was the right thing to do. She was going to die if she stayed there with Cole. 
So <laughs> it was the only way she could survive. And they get pa- transported back to the Discovery. And then because the Discovery knows exactly where the Klingons are, the cloak doesn't help them. They're able to destroy the ship of the dead. And so Stamets volunteers to make one more jump to safety, but tells Lorca that, hey, this is it. I can't do any more after this. Yeah, they're gonna go to a star base. Right. They're gonna they're gonna go back, they're gonna try and get the drive going to other people and do all these things. And as they're getting ready to do that, you kinda see Lorca do something underhandedly and he changes the coordinates. And all of a sudden when they jump, they show up someplace that nobody was expecting and just surrounded by debris of Klingon ships. Yeah. Stamus doesn't do well. He like when he does the jump, he screams in pain or agony or whatever and just falls down. And yeah, he's he's not looking good at the end of all this. No. So they don't they don't have the jump drive right now and they're kind of stranded and they don't know what's going on. And then this was the like what sometimes happens, the mid-season break. And that's that's the one thing I will say about this series. They know how to do some good cliffhangers. They do. We saw it after the second episode. We'll see it here, and then we'll we'll see the best one of all at the end. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, all in all, I mean, this. hopefully we've given you a sense of the show a little bit. And, of course, if you haven't seen it, we've spoiled it for you, but maybe... <laughs> Maybe that's what you came here for is to either you've seen it or you, you want to know what happened. So, right. Yeah. All in all, like I said at the beginning, you know, I, I'm a little bit mixed on it, but I really love some of these characters like Saru and Tilly and, and just especially watching this season a second time, I'm appreciating uh, kind of the world building and the, the uh, story along the way. It's right. probably because I know, you know, the, how it ends and everything. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I really enjoy these characters and what they're trying to do. Again, I question some of the th- some of the choices they made, but they've, you know, this this has been around for five years now, so there's no reason to to groan and complain about stuff. Right. <laughs> you know, and I definitely don't want to be the. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people that don't like the last two Star Wars movies, and I particularly liked. The Last Jedi, and so yes. many people, or at least uh, there's been a lot of kickback against that. And I, and I don't want to be one of those guys in the Star Trek universe, you know, that's saying, right. oh, back in my day, you didn't have this or that or the other. So, <laughs> No, you had a floating green hand holding the Enterprise still. <laughs> right. And, and Ron Howard's little brother... <laughs> Being the the creepy looking baby alien, all powerful baby alien, and yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot of goofy stuff back then too. There is, yeah. So I'm enjoying it more on this second time through, and um, I hopefully I, I'm not coming off as a as a hater no. <laughs> for this. No, I don't think so. I mean, you can be critical, and there there are things that are definitely tougher in this series. I mean, it, especially if you are going in there expecting it to be timeline-wise where where it should be, and you're seeing stuff that was way beyond, it is a little little shocking. Holograms and holodecks and all this kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, kind of but the phasers look the same as the original series. That's true. And yeah. I like those better than the, the ones in Next Generation. So... <laughs> 
So I, I did have a, a fan request for me to ask okay. you a question about this. Oh, my. Do you think this was written or c- created for the Star Trek fans? Or do you think this was written for young kids today and get them interested in Star Trek? Oh, that's an interesting one. I I want to say this one was a little bit more towards Star Trek fans. I think, I mean, Star Trek's always been socially more cutting edge for the time where it's at. And I think this one definitely plays into that a little bit more. I mean, it's always been a little political and a little more, this is the utopian, the utopian world. And I do think that this one falls in with that too. And and brings, you know, a little bit of a mirror onto our society today. You know, a little bit of the Klingons getting fired up for war based on rhetoric and, yeah, do the ends justify the means and just some of those things. And, and is it right to be selfish even if it is the right thing to do? So I think there's a, there's a lot of parts with that. I will say that there's definitely a little bit more on the positive role models for females in this one than I've seen in like multiple women that you see being strong and in charge more so than than any other even voyager i think that's a a definitely a good thing i think more for the kids a little bit more in the fans as well i guess lower decks when we get to that kind of fills that niche as well between the two yeah if i were to answer that question i'd probably say a little bit of both i mean you know they're putting hairy mud in there and you know the the sound effects of the show you know it it's not exactly like the original star trek but it's got the little bring i mean there are different homages to the, the previous star treks i also see as it should you know it has modern sensibilities you know some of the, like having having a, a mm-hmm. regular gay couple in the show and the stronger female leads you know back it was all when we get into the original series next time i mean it's pretty much all men all the time there's women around but the show's not about them at all right and so (laughs) and so no no (laughs) which is such a pity after that great pilot that they created and they had a strong woman in it they threw her away maybe that's what people didn't like at the time maybe <laughs> but yeah so you know we have great characters like tilly and and yes. uh, I, another question i've heard are you know people just don't like michael burnham yeah and she does take herself i think the actress and the character takes themselves a bit too seriously at times but all in all i i like the character of michael burnham i i think it's just a shift of you know i'm used to the episodic shows with the captain and the crew right and she's not the captain, you know, so it makes for a, a change in a shift in in how Star Trek is being presented. And I think once you kind of get over that hump, it's a good show. So Right. I will say, like, she does definitely have a chip on her shoulder and that comes out all the time. And I mean, Kirk had his swagger and Riker did, too, where he kind of had that feeling with him a little bit and scotty had his chip on his shoulder and you know picard had that quiet confidence just like janeway kind of did but i mean it's we haven't seen 
I would say maybe seven of nine was as close as we get to having a, a strong female with a, a chip on their shoulder a little bit, an attitude. And I think that, you know, seven of nine was a, a main character, but wasn't the main character, whereas this one, it is. And I mean, it's it's a story of how Michael Burnham changes, really. And you do see that. And I think it's... It's played off pretty well. So, I I get where people could find it, could not like it. Maybe maybe they just didn't give it enough time either. Yeah. And again, once once you get into season 2 and and even season 3, to me it's it, it becomes a, a better show. And maybe it's cuz I already know these these people or whatever, but uh Right. Yeah, it's it it just gets better from here. And this is pretty good. Agreed. So yeah, I I agree. It's it's not my favorite <laughs> series, but I I'll take it because it's new, too. Yeah, and I am enjoying it. All right. Well, we've probably talked everybody's ear off by now. <laughs> <laughs> I I've just kind of given in that these shows are going to be longer than a typical. You know, I typically try to get the episodes around an hour, but it's just going to be hard unless we changed the number of episodes that we did every time. Well, it's just this, this, like I said, you've said, it's just that first first run of each series is going to be the longest. I think we'll be significantly cut down once we come back to it. Yeah, that's true. But like next time, we're going to be talking about 14 episodes of the original series. Right. Um, and I'm kind of excited. It's been a long, it's been a while since I've sat and watched the original series all the way through. I, I've done it before. And I catch episodes here and there, or bits and pieces of of episodes. But I've, it's been a long time since I've done a deep dive into the original series, so I, I and, I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, and I don't know that I ever have. I don't know that I've ever done it in order, watched the whole thing all the way through. Well, that'll be cool. So, yeah, and I I've never seen the original animated series, so. I've been holding off on that now. <laughs> I I kind of like it actually. I didn't watch it when I was a kid, right? Um, and it's definitely made for kids, but I, that'll be a lot of fun too. I yes. think too. Those are just wacky episodes. All the things, all the wacky things they couldn't do on the original series, they did it right. in the uh, <laughs> the animated series. So, and I haven't seen very many of those actually. So that'll be all new for me. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. We Yes. <laughs> we'll be back next time talking about the first 14 episodes of Star Trek, the original series. Oh, wait, uh, I, I have one more quick thing. Oh, okay. I just want to make sure everybody knows, just in case you, we, this is, this is our only chance to let people know. But Fathom Events, which does the one old movie one-offs and everything, they are doing Star Trek Four, The Voyage Home, which is the one with the whales. <laughs> That's how everybody remembers it. But that is coming back to theaters only on two days, which is Thursday, August 19th and Sunday, August 22nd. And it's going to be limited theaters, limited times. So if you want to catch that movie in the theaters, this this is your shot. It's the 35th anniversary of that movie. That's what I was going to ask you. Why are they picking that movie? But yeah, that's why. Huh? Yep. 35 years since the one with the whales came out. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, oh, I remember the the old VHS videotapes and watching that one. So, 
it's it's definitely dated because it it takes place in case anybody doesn't know they kind of time travel and go back to earth on 1986 so it's it's kind of funny now to watch that <laughs> and and see what 1986 looked like if you want to see a star trek movie in the theaters those two days august 19th and august 22nd yeah thanks for letting everybody know about that i'll, I'll be looking for it i i will definitely be catching it even if I have to force the kids to watch <laughs> everything to get ready for it. so <laughs> There you go. Well, I guess until next time, Keith, live long and prosper. Peace and long life, Marshall. Good night, everyone. Good night. The audio from this podcast is exclusive to patreon.com slash journeyinto. Burnham is heartbroken by that. She feels like she's killed her captain and they leave and are able to, or do they, do they warp away or do they just go back to their ship? I think they made it back to the Shenzhou and then it got repaired enough that they were able to flee. If I remember right. No, cause uh, no? Volk goes back there later. So, Oh yeah, he does. I don't even know if we know what happens at the end. I think that's just... Anyway. <laughs> right. How do I fix that? Uh...